Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Well, it's time to Ben Jarofsky's show as I speak. It's Thursday, December 23rd, uh, but this uh, will be, is our special Christmas show. So you'll be hearing, we're going to have a Christmas show. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm just laughing. I'm not Christian, but we're going to have a Christmas show anyway. Because why not? Uh, and so I thought, who would be the best guest to have a Christmas show with? And I go, oh, my God, this person would be the best person to have a Christmas show uh, with. And so without further ado, I'm going to introduce my special Christmas show guest. A special Christmas show guest, introduce yourself. I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm an assistant metro editor at the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes. And columnist for the Sun Times and uh, regular guest on the Ben Jarofsky show, and I think everyone out there will agree. First of all, Merry Christmas, everybody! It's Christmas Day. As yes, I'm, uh, Merry Christmas. Remember. Merry Christmas, uh, Romana. Yes, that's nice of you to say it as well. I think Romana agree with me. Uh, that Romana and Ben are the best two people to have a Christmas show because neither one of us are Christian and we don't celebrate Christmas. Uh, well, we kind of celebrate I it. Do with my in-laws now, but. I didn't grow up celebrating it, but I did enjoy it. But we'll talk about a little we'll bit talk about, that. about that. So uh, a Muslim and a Jew are going to do a Christmas uh, show. God bless America. Uh, it's really what makes America great. Uh, and the thing about being a minority, a religious minority in America, is that you know what the majority is all about. You know their religions. You, I mean, you know their holidays. You know their songs. You know their prayers. You know, you know it all. <laughs> and then when like, <laughs> now maybe Romana will talk about how uh, going, growing up in Lincolnwood is a little different. A lot of Jewish people out there. But I, I, my early years, Romana, my uh, Lincolnwood years were spent in Rhode Island. Wow. And I went to. I know, right? I was going to say, at that time, there's probably no Jewish people. Very Man, few. there were two Jewish people in, <laughs> in Rhode Island. <laughs> uh, we were stuck in Rhode Island. It was this little corner of Rhode Island we lived in. And uh, I remember, I don't know if you ever had a moment like this. Uh, this is this is relatively benevolent uh, memory. But I, I believe it was second grade. Uh, and everything was Christmas this, Christmas that. We were making Christmas stockings and Christmas chains and all the little things, you know, that you do for Christmas and singing Christmas songs. And the teacher, <laughs> she said, everybody called me Benny. So er, she goes, she goes, and children or whatever, <laughs> boys and girls, Benny doesn't celebrate Christmas. And I was sitting at the back of the room in those days, Ramana, Every head turned around and looked at me like, what the beep? You don't celebrate Christmas. And somehow or other, I don't 
view that as like a uh, like a really hostile negative thing. You know what I mean? It's kind of an amusing story I've been telling for years, but it's uh, it's it's one of my few memories from back in those days of uh, being a minority, uh, a religious minority, which is different than a racial or ethnic minority uh, in uh, in a, in a uh, Christian world. So uh, do you have any similar memories like that? Well, it's really interesting that you talk about that because, you know, I was born in the seventies and at that time there were very few Indians um, and very few people even knew what a Muslim was. So people really didn't know who I was. I remember one time on the bus, this girl um, separated all the Christians and Jews on the bus. She goes, all the Christians have to sit on this side and all the Jewish people have to sit on this side. And she just assumed I was Christian. And I was like, well, I'm neither. But but I grew up, it, it was just really weird. I don't know. I don't know why well, people listen Hold it, hold it. Yeah. What? What? This well, is a little, like this was like a, I know it was a little grade school thing. This girl's like, oh, well, she goes, if you're Jewish. And just, she, she kind of like picked people. And I, I was so little, I didn't even know what was going on. But she assumed that I was somebody that would celebrate Christmas and not the Jewish holidays. But I grew up in in a different situation. Um, one day, it's really funny. I one of my colleagues, Neil Steinberg, was walking by the newsroom. He was talking to someone else about how he grew up singing Christmas carols and no Jewish songs because where he went to school, there's no Jewish kids. And I said that's funny because I went to a school that had a very um, very large Jewish population. So we sang all the Jewish the Hanukkah songs, you know, we sang the dreidel song. I can sing parts of the dreidel song. I made a menorah in woodshop class and my parents had it displayed <laughs> in their, in their house <laughs> and they had no idea what it was, but I mean, that's, that's the kind of school I went to. So I sang, I sang a lot, but when Christmas came around, I mean, I loved Christmas because, you know, I love the lights, but that's the thing. Yeah. We're all expected to like, Oh, it's Christmas. Like, you know, we should all be excited. And my mom used to always give me gifts to give to my teacher teachers around Christmas. Like even my parents knew. Like and then in Lincolnwood, it's really interesting. There's like the bigger homes are called the Lincolnwood Towers. And that's and to this day, Lincolnwood's known for its Christmas lights. So all these people with really big homes would decorate go all all out all, all out and decorate their homes. Um and people still come to Lincolnwood to see lights. I still take my nephews and nieces to see the lights. I used to call Santa Claus. Also, like, you know, there was this 800 number and it was like $3 like a minute. And I would listen to Santa Claus talk and watch all the, <laughs> the cartoons about Christmas. And I thought I thought it was fun and exciting. But, um, you know, my family didn't celebrate Christmas. So I, I've always like enjoyed it. And I obviously now with my in-laws, um, I celebrate Christmas in a different way where, you know, we exchange presents. And I didn't grow up doing that. But I always liked the spirit of Christmas. I even liked Hanukkah. We loved the Jewish holidays because we Muslims tend to like kosher products because, you know, in the seventies, there was a lot of things with pork gelatin in it. So whenever the Jewish holidays would come around, we're like, yes, we can eat all the kosher marshmallows that's out there. So we would know the Jewish, Ben, I grew up knowing when the Jewish holidays were coming out too. So I'm, I'm letting you know that it was Christian and Jewish people for us. Nobody knew what Muslims were. And, and I'm pretty, I'm cool with celebrating everybody's holiday. One of the things I don't like is this force of like, you know, people get so upset when you don't say Merry Christmas. They think like people are taking away Christmas instead of happy holidays. But, you know, unless you know that person doesn't celebrate, you know, if you know they celebrate Christmas, fine. I have no problem saying Merry Christmas. But if I don't know what they celebrate, I do say happy holidays. I have no problem saying that. And and I have no problem, like, you know, having fun on Christmas. But the thing that makes me annoyed is when people who are Christian, they don't want to observe or, like, address the fact that other people have holidays and don't really know them or don't really go out of their way to, like, understand other people's holidays. You know, it's like we're all expected to say Merry Christmas and, like, be like, oh, yeah, Christmas is so fun. But when it comes to other people's holidays, including, I, I think it, it includes, like, you know, a lot of Jewish families too. Like everybody's just like, oh, we don't know when it is. And, and and maybe it's because you you and I, like the religious traditions that we grew up in, our holidays are not always on the same time every year. That might make things a little confusing, but still, I don't think people like, I don't know. I just don't like when people go out of their way. Like in 2007, I did a column. Um, there was a school district where they had a large Middle Eastern Muslim population. And during Ramadan, the parents wanted to put up... Um, lights up for Ramadan and uh all the a lot of the parents a lot of them Christian were going hysterical 
And they're like, we don't want these lights up during Ramadan. And then the school eventually got rid of all holidays altogether. And then they said, oh, it's because of these Muslims. Now we can't celebrate Christmas anymore. So it's interesting. It's interesting. And, you know, like, and people always talk about separation of church and state in schools. But sorry, we sing Christmas songs and Hanukkah songs all the time. But I bet if like someone all of a sudden wanted to like acknowledge like some Muslim holiday in a lot of schools, people would talk about separation of church and state. And I think I think they don't call it Christmas vacation anymore. Right. Don't they call it winter break now? Yeah, I think that's uh, but then like MAGA will complain about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, You know, like, oh, there they go. They're the political correct crowd, you know. (laughs) Yeah, like a war on Christmas. But yeah, but I like I said, I grew up. observing the <laughs> observing or at least knowing about uh, the Jewish traditions and you know I knew what a dreidel was and you know we sang um like I said the dreidel song and then there was that one song oh Hanukkah oh Hanukkah can light the menorah I remember that one I know the tunes to all these songs so for well, me it was like both you're far more knowledgeable about uh Jewish rituals Jewish holidays because you grew up in Lincolnwood uh, around uh, Jewish kids than I am about Muslim stuff no, but a lot of Muslim, a lot of Muslim and Jewish traditions are very similar too. So when I when I when I've been into when I've been to synagogues and uh, when I talk to my Jewish friends, a lot of our traditions, like our prayers, are a little different, but our traditions are very similar. Even well, some I, of the I, words. I, I remember when I was coaching. You're going to laugh at me. Uh, I should, probably shouldn't confess this. So I really didn't. Uh, I'm trying to think were there any Muslim kids at Evanston High School when I was I but it's so long ago I can't remember. Mm-hmm. There were uh uh Hindu kids, but I don't think I mean if they were they it, I didn't wasn't aware of it. Okay, yeah. let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh except for black kids who uh were like black Muslims, which is a whole different ballgame. So I remember as coaching, you're gonna laugh at this. So uh, I had this girl, uh she was she ran track, I was and cross cut she's she's a really great kid. God bless you, Rita, I see you. And she's a Muslim kid. And so she called me, Coach, I can't run in this meat because uh, it's Ramadan and I won't be eating. And I don't, my mom doesn't think it would be healthy for me to run. I'm like, What? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Let me, I was like, I was the coach. I needed her. Okay. She's a good runner. Ramana was nothing against Muslims, but I needed this kid to run. <laughs> that and, is uh, that is funny that you say that because I have a running story about Ramadan. When I was in high school, I was a fast runner and everybody wanted me on the track team. And I remember I came to gym class in the afternoon and I go, hey, um, I'm not going to run today because it's Ramadan. I'm not eating or drinking. And they're like, you know what? There was a girl in my morning class and she's Muslim too. And she ran. And then I knew it was my friend who had like, class in the morning and so I ended up running it like in under eight minutes and you know I didn't break my fast I stayed um and you know one of the things I have to tell you me and my family I still run during Ramadan I um I can work out during Ramadan I've trained myself to do that I always do that anyway so me and my siblings always played sports and ran but some people can't so I saw that friend in the hallway later that day and I'm like Sophia which is her name and I was like do you run the mile? Because of you, I had to run the mile. And she's like, yeah. And I got so hungry afterwards and thirsty. I broke my fast. And I'm like, what? I was, I was like, I was like, I still rag her about it. She's still my friend today. So we always laugh about it because she broke her fast after running. And it was because of her, my gym teacher's like, oh, I had another student who was Muslim and she ran. So you can do it too. But Oh my God. That teacher's like that. <laughs> I, I was worse. I was like, well, have you ever heard of Hakeem Olajuwon, the great center for yeah. the Houston? He 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 doesn't eat. He face yeah. fast. Yeah, a lot of ath- a lot of athletes do play, but you know, not everybody's not everybody's body is the same. Me and my siblings, like my brother, played sports, and I still to this day I can still like I wake up. We don't break fast till like um, sunset, so I I run in the morning. I've been running during the pandemic in the morning during Ramadan. So it's like how you train yourself. I did not know uh, that you were um, a runner and. Uh, I know a lot about running. I uh, love track and field. If you ran a sub, how old were you when you were running sub eight minute miles? I mean, under, under. I mean, yeah. I was like 16, 17. Oh, okay. Well, that's... I wasn't like a, I wasn't like a five minute mile runner, but I was always a fast runner. And when I was in junior high, my I'm not fast anymore. Trust me. You should ask Mick. I mean, he he runs fast still. And I told him, I'm I'm, I'm like old. I'm like I I run slower. I just like running. I I run three days a week. 
And um, my siblings all make fun of me of how, how slow I am. But when I was younger, like a lot of my, one of my younger sisters, when my younger sister went to junior high, all the teachers are like, oh, you remember your sister? She was a fast runner. So I was fast. I'm not just saying <laughs> I was. That's the key element. Uh, all right. Anyway, every uh, uh, Ramana and I wish absolutely every one of you out there uh, Merry Christmas. I hope uh, you're having a great Christmas, opening your presents, uh, et cetera, and so forth. And um, it's a COVID Christmas. Let's just transition a bit to COVID. Uh, Nate, uh, who produces the uh, weekend shows, God bless him, uh, is is uh, playing in pain. He's got COVID. And tomorrow's guest, uh, which probably air before this, but whatever, it's a confusing world. Maybe not. I don't know. I haven't done the interview yet. Eric Zorn, uh, he'll be coming on the show. He has COVID. Uh, I am here in Los Angeles visiting uh, my daughters and my son-in-law, my granddaughter, and... I'm afraid that I'm going to catch COVID. I'm in my little room here looking at the rain. It's pouring rain out here in Southern California. So, uh, Romana, one thing that has remained consistent for the last two years is that we really can't go two weeks without having a COVID conversation because, I mean, as obvious as what I'm about to say is, it's like this thing is so for real. It's not going anywhere. We haven't done really much of anything to uh, make it go away. We are just such a weird species. The human species is just, just a weird oddball collection of people that we seem incapable for many different reasons of conquering COVID. That's how I see it. What do you think? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's a very, you know, this, this virus is obviously something we don't know that much about. So, you know, obviously scientists are starting to study this and vaccination and wearing a mask seem to be the best bet. Like, of course, none of us are hundred percent, you know, when we had the lockdown, was I perfect? No, but I did try. And there are some people who just refuse to believe that there is a virus out there or that the vaccine is effective. I understand the concerns of people, you know, who are saying that we don't know that much about vaccines but at the same time, all the doctors that I talk to, they say that the benefits outweigh the risks. And so, and then, you know, you hear a lot of anti-vaxxers saying, my body, my choice, but it isn't just your body. That's the thing that, you know, makes me afraid. I mean, I'm a pretty social person. I, I you know, this new, <laughs> this new strain, I mean, which I am hearing is so far milder if you're vac vaccinated, but you never know. And I'm, you know, I'm not living still like I did pre-pandemic, like the way I want to live my life. I love traveling. I love going overseas. And I'm getting jealous of watching people's pictures like overseas. I mean, I do hope to go somewhere soon. But I've curved a lot of my activities. And there are just some people who are willing not to curb their activities and not to get vaccinated. I don't know. There, you, I know you don't, you're not on Twitter. But I, yesterday, I saw Freddie Mercury was tweet trending on Twitter. And I'm like, I wonder why Freddie Mercury is trending on Twitter. Well, it turns out this bar in Florida had like, you know, people, all these people, maskless people had this sign and they had this, you know, Queen song. And it said, wearing that mask on your face, you big disgrace, you know, quoting this famous Queen song. And everybody's like, you know, that Freddie Mercury, what he died of, right? He was, would have been immune compromised. And everybody was kind of mad because the right is using Queen and Freddie Mercury's name to like put out their anti-vax message. It was like this board in front of a bar, like they're just making fun of people who are wearing masks. So it's like, I, I just find it unbelievable that, you know, we're the United States. We're always supposed to be this model. I mean, obviously the last couple of years have showed us that we're not the model that we think we are, but you know, we're supposed to be this world leader and we have so many people in this country who just don't want to get vaccinated. And if we, like I, I've talked about on the show before, is like, we're so selfish. It's, about what's in it for me. So you have to bribe Americans to get vaccines. And there's people literally dying in countries. They And, you know, our vaccines are free. You can get it wherever you want. And people still don't want to get, get vaccinated. Well, today, earlier today, uh, what I say today is this Thursday. Uh, so everybody can hear this interview that I'm about to allude to. Allude to a good friend of the show, political strategist, Delmarie Cobb, came on. Uh, we had an extended conversation about, follow me on this one now, uh, anti-vaxxers 
black anti-vaxxers and white anti-vaxxers and the different reasons cited by each group, like what motivates each group. And I urge everybody to check out what Delmarie had to say about it. It was really fascinating stuff. Uh, and so I'm going to ask you this. Anti-vaxxers uh, in the Indian American community or the Muslim community, the subset of that, uh, I what seems to be motivating them? Or Them? Um, so I actually, unfortunately I had a family friend, we had two family friends who passed away from COVID. One was a senior citizen and he got sick right before the vaccines came out. So he didn't even get a chance to get vaccinated. It was a very, really sad story. His whole family got COVID and he, it was fatal for him. And I just had another family friend who I knew since childhood, who was in his forties, late forties. And he died of, um, he died of uh, COVID. And this is just recently. I mean, he's somebody I grew up with and he didn't get vaccinated. And I don't know what the reasons were, but he wasn't mentally all there. So I don't know what his reasonings were. And he lives in Florida. So a lot of people were saying that there's so many people who are doubting out there. I don't know what his reasoning was, but it's really sad that this probably could have been preventable for him. And there are some people, I think, like within the Muslim community, um, not many people I know. Most, most I, I remember, Ben, I was telling you that they did this study like before the vaccine came out and they said the Asian American group, they said Asians, Asian Americans were the most willing to take the vaccine. So I've always said that most of my, most of my family friends who I know who are Indian or South, you know, I should say South Asian, we've all are vaccinated and have gotten boosted. We're like dying to get back vaccinated. Like we're, but um, you know, it's, every group has their anti-vaxxers. The ones, the things that I've seen is like a lot of parents were skeptical about giving it to their children, which I understand because, you know, they're still developing, but hesitantly a lot of, you know, at the end of the day, those parents ended up giving the vaccine. I've also anecdotally heard of people who are like, you know, as you've heard, like people who consider themselves really religious, like they don't want to get the vaccine, which doesn't make sense because they probably have the other every other vaccine. But, you know, people are using different excuses. I mean, I know what the Trump, I, I want to listen to the interview that you did with Marie Cobb because that should be really in- interesting. But yeah, I, I think I told you before, I feel like the biggest holdouts are the white MAGA people and the African-American community for their own reasons. Like if you want it, if you wanted to generalize and I, I could be wrong. I mean, I think there's anti-vaxxers in each group and those are so, so those are the reasons I've seen so far. Like, oh, we don't know that much about it. And, you know, my brother, a couple of days ago, like we were like, he hadn't gotten boosted yet. So we're like, you need to get boosted. And then, you know, my mom said he's too lazy. My, my younger sister's like, oh, he's so lazy. He's not, you know, doing it. But he told us yesterday he got boosted. Well, see that. Okay. Now, uh, you're getting at something. Uh, putting aside like having a philosophical or an ideological or religious based reason for not getting vaccinated. I do believe there's a certain amount of uh, laziness and lethargy. Yeah. And, but and, and, yeah, go ahead. I don't get the religious reasons. Cause like a lot of, a lot of Muslim, you know, clerics and imams are saying that in Islam, you're supposed to look out for your neighbors and you're supposed to like when you're supposed to believe in science and do this because you want to be, you want to, you know, save humanity. So like, I don't get the religion, you know, in each group, I think in a lot of groups, like there are some people in different religious groups just don't want to get in. I don't get the religious reasons at all. I mean, I guess Jehovah's Witness, right? They don't take vaccines or medicine. Or Christian scientists. Yeah. If you have a, a particular religion that you're dedicated to, that this is your, your fundamental bedrock belief. Uh, and that religion states that you take, don't take medicine of any kind, then I can understand why you would have a fundamental opposition uh, to getting vaccinated. I'm not saying that's good, a good thing to have. I'm just saying I can understand it. But half of these religious reasons that I hear, man, the most cooked up, made up excuses, and they're violated in other instances. You yeah. Know, and <laughs> yeah. I don't get the laziness either. Like, how could you be so lazy? Like, these, these places are, you know, in the beginning when the vaccines were rolling out, um, you know, it was really hard to get an appointment. At this point, it's like, I mean, I just got a test. Like I walked to the place to get myself tested. If I wanted to go get the vaccine right now, I'm vaccinated and boosted. So I don't need one right now. But if I needed a vaccine, I can walk 
to a Walgreens. I know there's places that have food deserts and maybe pharmacy deserts. So I understand that. But you wouldn't, you know, you, you would, if you could, if this is something that can cause you death or other people death, like how hard is it to take like an hour of your day to go get vaccinated? Even less than an hour for yeah, a lot of people. I, 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 I'm with you, but people are lazy and lethargic. And I, for a while, I've been, I've heard every excuse. Uh, I had a, a friend who, and I'm not naming names, I'm not throwing my friends under buses, but this guy goes, I don't trust Walgreens. <laughs> I'm like, why? You know, I, I don't know. It's just like, that was a why. So I, then go to CVS, <laughs> go to CVS. Walmart, I think is offering it too. You know, go to the doctor's office. It's just. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, uh. If, if you're going to be, a con- if you're going to be a conspiracy theorist, you can't live your life like that. I mean. I, I the people who are conspiracy theorists, they pick and choose what they want to be conspiracy conspiracy theorist about. And the thing is, yeah, and the thing is, a lot of these people who um, I've heard a lot of like anecdotal stories about a lot of people who are unvaccinated, they end up in the hospital when they're deathly ill. They all of a sudden want the vaccine. So it's sad. It's a sad situation, you know. By the way, you mentioned conspiracy theorists, and I was listening to this uh, Louis C.K. Uh, bit. I don't know. Oh God. If- I know I, I'm back on Louis C.K., uh, but he, he, his latest comedy bit, I don't know if you saw this, it's trending on Twitter, I don't know, but it was sent to me by someone, and uh, so he's talking about conspiracy theorists, this is actually a funny bit, when he did it, I was like, God, I wish I had thought of that, so he's talking about uh, the 9-11 uh, conspiracy theorists, uh, 9-11 con- uh, deniers, and um, he was talking about, a, he said he had a conversation with his daughter, and she goes, Daddy, what's that? And he said, well, that 9-11 uh, deniers people who don't think that the attacks on 9-11 were real. And she goes, oh, I thought they were saying that there were 9-11 deniers. And I, oh. <laughs> I thought that was funny, man. Like nine, as in nine people denying the number 11 exists. Anyway. Oh, that, that's that's it's, pretty funny. But, you know, you know um, now once you come back then to Chicago and Cook County, you're going to have to prove that you're vaccinated to go into restaurants and gyms. and here, here. And, and we talked about this on the show the other day. I get your thoughts on this. Uh, I, I got friends who won't get vaccinated. People I know of won't get vaccinated, but they still want to have all the liberties of, of people who are already vaccinated. So uh, they have fake IDs. And they're bragging to me about how they go to the Bulls. Because the Bulls games, to get to a Bulls game, my beloved Chicago Bulls, who are 19 and 10 as we speak, uh, love the Bulls this year to help me get through this pandemic. But to get into the United Center, you had to have proof that uh, you were vaccinated or you had a negative test. So I guys, oh, I got this card. And so the joke I was making, it was like, I don't know if you saw um, that uh, – the movie where uh, McLovin, where the guy has the fake yeah. ID. Yeah. Uh, super bad. Like, super bad. Yeah. So they all got the McLovin cards. Uh, but it's just so, it's just so, so pathetic. The anti-vaxxers are, they want to, they don't want to get a vax, but they don't want to take a real stand. So they want to be able to have their cake and eat it too. So yeah, I applaud it. What's your thoughts? I, I got no problem. Well, the hideout, my beloved hideout, already had a rule that you had to be uh, a vaccinated card. You had to have did a you, card. Proof. Did you hear about the hideout? Um, I think yes. people from out of town are giving it bad reviews. People who are probably anti-vaxxers and people who don't like vaccine mandates um, and wearing masks. So they're going on Yelp and giving it bad reviews. Yes. So and let that's me just say this about that. Yeah, it's true. And let me just say this about that which is, and, and get your response. Yelp sucks, ladies and gentlemen. Yelp is like extortion. Yelp is how Yelp figured out this thing where you could have a business totally vulnerable to whoever, you know, it's like Richard Roper writes a review of a movie. He puts his name on the review. He puts his picture on the review. Uh, Ramana and I could talk about it. We could throw him under a bus. If we disagree with them, we could say, we love you, Richard Roper, but he has the guts to put his name and his picture on his review. You Yelpers, well, I don't like this waiter. I'll get back at it with you. So Yelp is just freaking extortion. So here's what I say to everybody out in the universe. Yes, it's a dirty, rotten trick that these anti-vaxxers are doing to my beloved hideout. But I say this to America. 
Stop reading Yelp. Stop it. You guys are like bamboozled and gaslit by stupid things on the internet like Yelp. That's my thoughts. Your response, Ramona. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, sometimes Yelp has good things. I, I know when there's people who are Trump supporters, we've had the restaurant in um, Uptown. Remember that restaurant in Uptown where all the hipsters like to eat? It turned out that their um, their owners are at the Capitol riots and everybody went on Yelp and started saying bad stuff about it. Um, God, I'm forgetting the name of the place. It was a Vietnamese restaurant. Yeah, and you know yeah. what? If the food's good. The food's good. It's got nothing to do with the political affiliations of the owner. If you don't want to go to a restaurant because you don't want to support a, a MAGA head, fine. Don't go to that restaurant. But but the, it's like Yelp, the only way to do it. You know what I'm saying? That's, yeah, no, like, no. I, I, I think it's unfair in a lot of in a lot of cases. So I, I, I always take those Yelp reviews with a grain of salt. I always look at to see what the full review are. And I do this also when I go overseas because some people are very um, – very picky too. It's, it's hard to please them. So I look at what kind of things they're saying too. Cause some people like they get so mad if they have to wait like 10 more minutes. And I'm like, God, the fact that you like wasted all this time to complain on Yelp about it. It's like, I, I can tell the personalities of people when I read a lot of Yelp reviews, I'm like, this guy is probably really uptight and anal and needs everything like perfect. Like, you know, if the waiter doesn't come and say hi, it's like a big deal or something, or doesn't say a certain raise so some people are just like super uptight and i can tell who they they are so yeah i mean i think that's totally wrong to do that um but you know this is the country we live in it's like if you um want to do something the right thing people will come after you right you know because this other side or you know the people who are like the maga people think anything that has to do with science you know they're they're all about their civil liberties but they're not about civil liberties of other people that don't look like them so it's just, it's just insane, but I'm okay with the vaccine mandate, um, you know, and going into restaurants and gyms, um, showing that you're vaccinated. Yeah. You know, this, the scary thing is there are a lot of people who probably have fake vaccine cards. So I hope there is a clampdown on the fake vaccine cards. Um, you know, I, I just hope people follow the rules. I hope people don't get lax about looking at people's cards. Absolutely. By the way, just sort of thought you, you, you put this in my head. More inconsistency, hypocrisy from MAGA. MAGA sobs. We talk about this all the crying, weeping about cancel culture. Well, what is MAGA doing to the hideout? You know, they disagree with the hideout. Oh, well, I know what we'll do. We'll cancel your culture. We'll, we'll institute this stupid Yelp plan to undercut you, put you out of business. That'll punish you for having an opinion different than us. MAGA is the biggest cancel culture in in the country they far exceed the left with their political correctness you know what i'm saying when you would you when you went on that riff ramon i'm like yeah that's cancel culture where where's donald trump to denounce that you know what i'm saying where what's uh marjorie taylor green hey aren't you gonna denounce cancel culture at the hideout you get what i'm saying no nope. only only when it's their culture Right. Only when it's their culture. Can't cancel my culture. <laughs> you should be free to be an idiot. Exactly. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I'm, I got no problem with the, uh, the mandate. Do you think anybody's going to get the shot because of this? Do you follow what I'm saying? Do you think this will... Um, um, I don't know. Through? I hope so. I mean, you know, anecdotally, you always hear about somebody like finally caving in to it. So if it makes people like if they want to go out and, you know, obviously they can socialize at home. But if they want to go out to a restaurant and see their friends um, or, you know, a lot of, you know, if they want to go hang out at a bar or go to a gym, I think I think it will motivate some people. And if even if it motivates a few people, I still think that's a good thing. All right, uh, let's move on to, I thought I was through with this guy, but apparently I'm not, Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, uh, we've talked a lot about the Kyle Rittenhouse case. Uh, I personally uh, was very offended by the decision uh, to acquit him. I agree wholeheartedly with Darlene Glenn. And I urge everybody to read her column that she wrote for the uh, Sun-Times uh, that pointed out that it was just essentially an affirmation of the right of a white man to kill some uh, white people who support Black Lives Matter. And um, so I didn't think it was a good day for America to put it uh, mildly. But I was sort of hoping that Kyle Rittenhouse would get this break, if you will, and then just quietly uh, just sort of disappear and try to get his life together or whatever. 
But no, he's now embracing uh, his celebrity status. And he just had an appearance in front of some right-wing group. I think it was in Arizona, a hall packed with maskless people, <laughs> you know, just celebrating their right to give each other COVID. Uh, your thoughts about Kyle Rittenhouse? Yeah, you know, you would hope that he would try to redeem himself and show some remorse. But I know he's a kid, but I think at a certain point, you know, going to these conferences and taking a picture with Bobert, if that's how you say her name, Lauren Bobert, um, it's just, it's just showing, you know, he was like saying how like, he, he was all about Black Lives Matter. And then I'm like, you're posing with this woman who's definitely a bigot. And it's, it's like, isn't there any sort of remorse? I mean, there's one thing if you get off, like, you know, he was crying on the sedan and it's like, you're, you're basically eating up, you know, all these adults who think a certain way are taking advantage of you. You know, he could say no, but he clearly embraces this. And I don't know if you saw a news story a couple of days ago about a truck driver who um, had crashed into some people. And there was some sort of mechanical error with his truck. From what I was told, I haven't read the whole story, but a lot of people are have been talking about Paul Rittenhouse because this man ended up, um, he ended up hitting some people. He killed four people and he got a 110 year sentence. And this guy was very, very um, sad about what had happened. He said he would have trade, trade places with all these victims. He cried. He got a 110 year sentence and people are like, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse, meanwhile, gets away with it and he's treated like a celebrity. And meanwhile, this guy is, you know, nobody's saying that he shouldn't be, should be held accountable, but he's basically, you know, he's a Latino guy. And people are like, you know, meanwhile, a white guy can do this. And a Hispanic guy who is remorseful gets a 110 year sentence. So a lot of people are speaking about, out about that case as well. Yeah. No, I didn't see that story. Uh, I missed that one. And, uh, but yeah, there's, to contrast that uh, gentleman you're talking about, a lack of remorse. Because remorse, your point is well taken. Remorse goes beyond that moment when you're on the witness stand and you're hoping to win over the jury with your tears, quote unquote. I have tears in quotes, air quotes. Uh, remorse would continue after the fact, even after you beat the rap. Exactly, exactly. I mean, there's two people dead and you injured one person. And, you know, even if you get off, you're acquitted. Um, there's got to be some, you know, it's like it's only been a few months or a few weeks and you're out and about parading with all these individuals. I mean, he's going to become a celebrity for the right. I mean, he already was, you know, this documentary made of him like two seconds, like after with Tucker Carlson that, you know, gets put out. So it's it's actually a sad state and just speaks to more about what's wrong with our country. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually it's greater than Kyle Rittenhouse. That's a good point. It's it's more about the people who are cheering him. Yeah. The adults. I mean, yeah. the part of me is like, okay, he's 18. I'm not saying, you know, that he's excused for shooting anybody because I, I understand the outrage out there for him getting off, but it's like, he's 18. You know, when you're 18, I think back about myself when I was 18, I probably wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed, but I don't know. I would think that I would have had some remorse and had some sort of, you know, I won't want to be paraded like the celebrities. And, you know, it's the adults at the end of the day who are more at fault. But I think at this point, he's 18. You know, they say that you're an adult by then. He can say no. His mom can tell him, no, you're not doing this. But this is who he's surrounding himself with. All right, let's close with a uh, go back to some Christmas cheer uh, on a more positive note. Uh, Romana finally finished the uh, Beatle documentary. Uh, and, uh, so both of us are Beatles fans. It's, it's remarkable. She's a Beatles. She, R Romana was born after the Beatles broke up and she's still a Beatles fan. Uh, so I got a shout out to Romana for, uh, having an open mind to music from a generation before her. Uh, so what's your grade? What's your thoughts? I guess I don't even, don't even bother giving it a grade. Uh, <laughs> well, about, you know, I thought it was an A. I thought, I thought it was really great. Um, yeah, there were parts of it, you know, my husband, Mick, your friend, gave up on it. He said that he said it was too much. He said it was too long. And 
but I thought the payoff was really good. And I, I personally, like I said that I might not be able to watch that with any other band, but with the Beatles, it's like, you know, their music, it's like timeless. I think, you know, I'm biased. I know not all of your listeners like the Beatles, but I'll watch anything with the Beatles in it. And yeah, I admit there were some parts that were a little slow, but I like kind of like the little things about the Beatles that I, you know, did, you know, kind of like watching them interact and like minor things like Ringo giving Yoko Ono gum. I know Yoko Ono's not in the band, but, you know, just watching her kind of sit around and Paul McCartney playing with Heather McCartney. I thought that was really cute. And I think it made you look at the way they interacted with, with each other. I mean, we've heard of stories about them, like really not liking each other. And there probably was tension out there, but just watching them kind of talk to each other they really had respect with one another and I think Paul and John definitely had that bond that the other two weren't a part of so just watching like Paul and John talk and I think Paul comes off as like obviously he seems like a workhorse but he also seems pretty nice I don't know he came off as nice to me Ringo was just like glad to be there for the ride you feel bad for George at some parts where he feels like he's been neglected and eventually leaves the band and then, you know, like you talked about in your column, watching Billy Preston come in, who at the time was only 22 years old. He just comes in and he's like playing. <laughs> he's like, he just is able to, I, was that an organ or a piano? What I don't know, what, whatever it was. Like, he was just so good at it. Like, he could just like, they were singing a song. And like you said, everything kind of, it was just kind of like, it was dark and dismal. And like it seemed like the lights, like, you know, the Wizard of Oz, where it's like black and white. And all of a sudden, you know, Dorothy goes to Oz and it's all colorful. And it really gave him kind of motivation to work. And it, it, it was cool. I thought it was cool to watch. And then watching, you know, the concert at the end, um, I had no idea. You know, I have all the Beatles albums, the original Beatles albums that were printed in England. Um, got them when I was 17 years old, made my dad get them for me. Um I never knew that the rooftop concert, basically the use songs that they performed on there on the album. I had no idea it was from the actual concert. And so I thought it was fun. Um, I, I liked it a lot. I know it's not for everybody, but it was, it was just fun. I, 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 the end was really fun. And, you know, as it got closer to the date, it, it, it got exciting. And then, you know, I really liked the fashion. That's another thing that I was going to tell you. I mean, the fashion was like, Awesome. Like I love that one, the, the engineers, the, the, the engineers jackets, like he had the coolest jackets, you know, out there. I thought he had the best clothes. So I thought it was really cool. And these people are like 80 now. So it's like you, you watching them like, and you know, the film was so crisp. I didn't know Alan Parsons did stuff with them. I'm like, wait, is that Alan Parsons from the Alan Parsons project? And, uh, you know, it was, it, it was cool to see that. Um, I like that. I like the sixties fashion. I thought that was, that was fun to watch. So I don't know, you know, and, and I also noticed, I don't know if you noticed this, but, you know, today we always hear about rock stars and they're demanding, you know, they always have these like, you know, contracts about what they can eat and what they can eat. And it's kind of funny to watch at that time, the Beatles, all they were eating was like toast, toast yeah. marmalade on toast. And it, and it looks so like sad. I was like, oh, that's all they're eating. And, you know, they seem to be happy. They were just like having fun playing the music and. I loved watching the toast. The toast made me laugh. I'm like, God, they're rock stars and all they're eating is toast. And that, that part where they had them, um, they bugged <laughs> the flower vase or whatever it was during lunch with John and Paul. I thought that was really cool. And then I didn't think about it until I read it later. But you, you heard Paul saying like, you know, maybe when we're older, we'll sit around and sing and we won't have any like sort of fights or anything like that. And it was kind of sad because you think about it, John Lennon obviously didn't live to be that old. So some parts of it are kind of sad because you know what happens, right? So, but in general, I thought it was kind of fun. I think if you're a Beatles fan, nine out of 10 chances are that you're going to like it. And um, I, I, I liked it. You know, it was eight hours, but it was eight hours that I, I enjoyed. I, I'm with you 100%. I would not recommend it to anybody. I always say, I said it from the get-go. If you're not a Beatles fan, don't watch this. It's it, This is uh, for Beatles fans and Beatles fans only. Uh, I, I, I will say this, that I thought it was a, uh, a very revealing look at the creative process yes. and I'm not equating myself to one of the Beatles. Okay. 
and uh, we we had a show last just a couple days ago. Charles Ellison was on. I urge everybody to check it out. This guy is brilliant. He's a trumpet, jazz trumpet player, and he's a jazz historian. Uh, and he was talking about John Coltrane and John Coltrane's search for what is unobtainable excellence, perfection. And you can't obtain it, but it's the search uh, that's what's important. And the sounds that John Coltrane will create, the music will create while he's searching for something that he will fail at getting at. Okay. It was kind of an interesting uh, point that Charles Ellison was making about the creative process of John Coltrane. The Beatles are, a, a, in my humble opinion, a step way, way down from John Coltrane, but they're very melodic. They're very creative. Uh, they're particularly John Lennon is very skillful with uh, his lyrics. And so Romana, to watch that process where they start out with just this vague concept of a tune and they work the tune out and they try to weave words together that will rhyme and fit the tune and have some coherence and to see them stumble and start and uh, have like hit dead ends and they get frustrated. They just sit there and look in space I just like, oh my goodness, I know what this is like. This is like <laughs> exactly. writing a story. I know? mean, these are the Beatles and they're having like, you know, they're getting stuck. So I think it should inspire people to say that, hey, you know, everybody gets stuck and even the Beatles couldn't come up with something else. And just being Indian, I thought it was cool. Like, you know, obviously the Indian footage always makes me laugh. But um, I did, you know, the whole Get Back song was basically a song that started off as an anti you know, people who it, it was against people who were anti-immigration, and it was originally instead of like get the names were Indians and Pakistanis. That was what the lyrics were because you know there's a lot of South Asians in England, so you know they kind of had they had like the different names. It was Indian, Pakistanis, Puerto Rican. So I thought that was cool. It's with someone who's South Asian, and I I don't know in general. I I there's just like a little the little parts of the um, documentary were like the best things for me, and I just liked the songs coming together at the end, the songs and them listening to it at the end, after they do the rooftop concert and watching the cops come and go, Hey, you know, the polite British cops say, Hey, can you turn it down? And, you know, they're, it was funny how they, you know, they ended up, uh, you know, listening to the cops and they sit in the studio and they listen to it at the end. And it was, it was, it was, it was fun. I it thought was it was funny. fun. And I got to say this, now you've seen the whole uh, show. So when Romana came out a few weeks ago, she'd just been starting seeing it. She saw uh, 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 George's Hare Hare Krishna, Krishna friends. friends that he allowed to sit in when they were in the bigger studio. But when they got to the smaller studio, you know, they, you noticed they weren't there. No. They got the heave ho. And uh, <laughs> did you see the part where, so you, I'm sure you remember, you saw the whole thing, but um, so when George left the band temporarily, they sent him flowers. Remember Ringo goes, Oh, look, we got flowers. And he goes, who's it from? And they opened it, it was for George and it was a Harry Krishna's. So that made yeah. me laugh, you know? Yeah, so. no. By the way, they, um, uh, the, the exchange. Okay. So the trip to India where the Beatles went with the Maharishi, uh, and, uh, John, it was George, basically it was his initiative. He organized it. They went with him. Uh, but by the, a year out, a year later after the trip, John and Paul were pretty much cynical about it, rolling yeah. their eyes and making fun of themselves. And I give George credit for standing his ground when they had that exchange and defending it. Uh, and um, he believed, I mean, I, I can't hate on someone. That's his, that's no, where no, he's no, at. No. You know? no, I actually think George Harrison was really respectful of Indian culture. The thing is like a lot of people, a lot of Indians, kind of find people who go to India to find themselves, the white people who go to find themselves, they're kind of annoying because they're not really trying to find out who Indian people actually are or learn about the culture. They just want to go live in this ashram and live this kind of life. I mean, that's a stereotype of like a white person going to India. Like, oh, I got to find myself. So I do laugh at that. But I think George Harrison did try to understand the culture. I mean, he learned how to play the sitar. And I think he was he was never like, he was never disrespectful to, you know, the culture, but it was funny. Cause like Ringo, I, I remember reading that Ringo never liked India. And so when somebody asked him if he liked India, I don't know if remember he said no, <laughs> he like left India because he didn't like the food and stuff. And hey, I kind of respect that. I mean, yeah, I'll be like, Hey, how could you not like India? But you know, I've been to India and I, you know, I get frustrated when I'm like there cause I have my relatives there and 
you know, we, we'd get into these little, you know, little fights and stuff like that. But India's close to my heart. But yeah, I, I thought George, I mean, George Harrison took the Maharishi seriously. At some point, the you know, the other Beatles kind of caught on to him. But no, I, I think George is pretty sincere. So I'm I I I I'm sure he was very nice to the Harry Harry Krishnas. Um, I bought a you know like I don't see Harry Krishnas at um airports anymore. But in the '90s, the last time I saw some was in California in the '90s '95, and they were selling cookbooks. And I bought a cookbook from them. It was like free. They gave it to me, and they're like, "You can give a donation." I think I just gave them a dollar. They're like white, you know, Harry Harry Krishnas. So I laughed, of course, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'll buy your cookbook." But I have to tell you, to this day, I still use some of the recipes from <laughs> from this Hare Krishna cookbook. You know, it's basically, you know, it's 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 kind of like, and then there's pictures of like white people wearing Indian clothes and eating Indian food. It's it's really funny. I still have it. Like the book's like falling apart of this paperback. But hey, I I I've, I have actually seen Indian Hare Krishnas in um, India too. The when I was a little girl, so it's, that- it's definitely interesting. A cookbook has served its purpose. Yes. Uh, all right. We've run out of time, so we're not going to do anything on Succession, uh, which <laughs> is a show uh, that Ramana has just started watching. And, of course, I'm way behind it. The show came out like four years ago, I think, uh, and I'm now just watching it. But uh, I'm utterly obsessed with it. Uh, and so R- Ramana's homework assignment is to catch up to where I am and f- basically finish at least two years uh, although I got a feeling you're going to plow right through to the third year. And then probably the next time you're on, we could take a little deeper dive. Yes. I think you're going to really enjoy talking succession, what it says about America uh, in this stage of our, our existence. So that's something that's your homework assignment over the Christmas holidays. You ready for it? Yeah. All right. Very good. Uh, Ramana, uh, have a great Christmas. Thank you. And uh, I hope the presents that your uh, in-laws give you are things that you need and love and want. Uh, and even if they're not, I think you'll just be really nice and say, oh, thank you, uh, whether, whether they are. It'll be fun. All right. Very good. That's uh, the great Ramana Hussein. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.